0: for everyone. My name is Reverend McKinley Sims. I serve at UU Church of the Restoration in Mount Airy in Philadelphia, and the following audio is the audio from the sermon I gave on February 10th on Evolutionary Sunday, talking about Darwin, Dr. Just, and how we can learn to trust in things that maybe we've been told we ought not to trust in. I hope you enjoy. Apologies in advance for the different audio quality that you'll experience. Thanks. When I was 18, I was sitting in the fourth row from the back on the left side in Millington Hall, room number 150 at the College of William & Mary in Introduction to Biology. Huge course that most freshmen took to satisfy their science gen ed requirement. And I remember not knowing a thing that was going on. Uh, and being so wonderfully awful at biology. And uh, living with my roommate, who was a biology major. Uh, and staying with sitting in a row with some of my friends who went on to become doctors. It was tough. Um, but I remember Dr. Crystal going through and doing my best to follow along. And we went through kind of the whole year. We got to the spring. And... Evolution had not really been brought up, but not not brought up, right? It's biology class. Um, But we really went into the nuts and bolts of it in the spring. And I remember just being fascinated and knowing a little bit about it, but not really understanding all the intricate processes and the vocabulary and exactly how it worked. I kind of had a general idea. Uh, But I remember how passionate Dr. Crystal got about it. And I remember that the passion bordered on almost anger at some point. And this really came down uh, front and center when one day we had a survey in our class. And uh, if you've not been to college or you haven't been to college in a while, one of the things they do is they make you buy these clickers for these big classes so you can click that you're there for attendance, but also you can participate in these polls and these uh, questions. So we did this survey, and it was about the evolutionary process and what we understood of it. And then the last question was some some form of the question, do you believe this, or do you understand this, or do you believe in a creationist view of how the world came into being? (laughs) And uh, there were four answers, so I don't quite remember what all there were. But it was kind of split in a class of like 300 people it was more or less split. That Some people said, oh yeah, I'm all the way on this end. And some people said, I'm all the way on this end. And some people said, I'm in the middle. And I remember Dr. Crystal got furious about it. That he said, I cannot believe how I've gone through this entire class and there's still people who chose this answer. I was like, I mean, okay, that's, I understand that fury might be a little much for me. But I remember kind of wrestling with that, and we had a lot of great conversations amongst my friends after that about what that meant and what that meant for us personally. And not being very good at biology, I was content to kind of just let it slide. But that sticks so vividly um, in the, the insistence that science in that class uh, overshadow other beliefs, in some way. And then I remember, a few weeks later, in April, on April 20th, there was a mass shooting at Virginia Tech. So going to school in Virginia and being surrounded by people who had friends there, I remember sitting in biology class and hearing about this, and being from Texas and not really being familiar, I was content to say, oh, that's awful, and to let it slide a little bit. But for my roommate, who is a biology major from Virginia, and for my friends who grew up to be doctors who are from Virginia, as an entirely different experience. And I remember sitting there trying to make meaning out of this tragedy. And the juxtaposition of being in a biology class whose role is to not make meaning of stuff like that. And feeling a need for something else. Looking for something to to trust in how to make meaning of horrible situations. Of trying to find beauty in horror. Of trying to find golden in the grays. And I think that I was kind of primed for stuff like this when I was growing up. Because, like I said, my aunt was a science teacher. And I grew up in a very conservative part of the world. But, uh, you know, we... We had a healthy understanding of the scientific theory and things like that, and I found myself growing up and being amazed, a little bit like Jane was saying, about the wonders of the world, that being able to look up into the night sky and see the vastness of the cosmos, and then reading about how the constellations have mythological traditions associated with them, and how the world is spinning in this Absurdly intricate pattern of geometry and how there are all these planets that we can see but we can't get to and how we're just in the right position away from the sun, the Goldilocks zone that we're not too far, we're not too close and we have this incredibly beautiful earth with all these wonderful rainbows and snowflakes and rainstorms and hurricanes and famine and school shootings and just the muchness of it That I was grappling for something to help me make meaning from it. That there's too much wonder, too much awe, too much sadness. So what do we put our trust in in order to deal with those, to grapple with those, to wrestle with those? And I've come to realize that we're answering, trying to answer different questions about our world, right? We have the the who's and the what's and the, the when's and the where's right? And then we have why. And so what? And I think that's what this comes down to as we talk about Evolutionary Sunday and the roles of science and religion, that maybe they have different roles to play for us to help us answer these questions. So to do that, I want to highlight three people today who I believe have lived lives less ordinary, which is the title of this sermon. A man named Charles, you can probably guess who that is. A woman named Emma, you may know who that is. And a man named Ernest. So like I said, this is uh, Evolutionary Weekend. It's part of something called the Clergy Letter Project. It is a movement whose um, goal is to kind of wrestle back the idea that science and religion have to be totally separate. That one has to triumph over the other. That we all have to answer that survey in a dichotomy kind of way. This letter, uh, you can read it online, is signed by 591 of my colleagues, including me. And it seeks to delineate science and faith, but not separate them completely. Seeks to delineate science and faith, but not separate them completely. So we're talking about these roles, right? And I was reading a bunch on Charles Darwin about his process and how he came up with his theory of natural selection and how he went about in his life grappling with some of these questions, that he lived a life less ordinary than some of the folks around him. And he used to write letters and correspondence to people chatting back and forth about his ideas. And he was pretty sure that there was some kind of mechanism, this evolutionary process, that we all started in the same place, and then throughout time, life branched out and become. become the beautiful rainbow of life that we have today. But he wasn't quite sure how it happened. So he began to sort out the details, all the while trying to grapple with, does this go against my religious beliefs? Is this separate? So he wrote a letter to a woman named Emma, and Emma wrote him back, and she encouraged him this. You don't have to abandon one for the other. That you can hold them both in each hand. That you can live in this tension. That things can coexist. And I think Charles had a lot of respect for that idea. So we're talking about his faith a little bit later, but just know his faith, it changed, it flowed, it ebbed, it never became fixed. But he trusted his science. They were telling him that something was going on here that he was trying to figure out. So he had this unshakable foundation from which he moved in the world. He said, I know what, I just don't know how, but that's a separate question from why. So let me tell you about this man named Ernest. He knew something as well. He was born in South Carolina, reared in New England. He became a marine biologist. He would have passed Dr. Crystal's class, I can tell you that. Uh, And an embryologist working with embryos and young cells. He became a distinguished professor. He is uh, most famous for his work on embryos, how they develop. He was able to predict whether embryos would develop with certain gene traits, and which would not, based on a process that he developed. He had an unshakable belief in himself, in his ability as a scientist. And despite a lack of funding, despite a lot of personal and professional prejudice that he faced, he became one of the foremost scientists uh, in the early 20th century. So he did his PhD at the University of Chicago, then traveled in Europe. He studied Greek and Latin. Fabulous. I can get behind that. And he developed this theory that came down in opposition to something that Charles Darwin had posited about 60 years before. right? Um, Origin of the Species, 1859-ish. Uh, Ernest is working in like the early 20th century, 1903 about. So, this idea of evolutionary descent is still pretty new, but people are latching on to it. Right? Not just scientists. There were a lot of religious folks that signed on way early. Over in England, the Anglican Church signed on, the Unitarian Church signed on. People were not as um, furious to separate them as maybe we might believe. But Ernest understood this theory, and that's how he got interested in science, was he took a class on evolution at Dartmouth College. And he started working with these embryos and trying to predict how they would develop. And he said, well, I know that these genes get passed down. right? That's what Darwin has told us. But I think there's more to it than that. I don't think it's just the DNA, the stuff inside the nucleus of the cell. There's a lot of biology, I know hard for me. The nucleus, the very center of the cell, right? The innermost of the innermost. That's where the DNA is. And most people believe that's just what happens. The DNA gets passed from the center down to the center through chromosomes and all that. But Ernest thought, I think there's more to it than that. Because I think there's not just the stuff in the middle, there's the stuff around it too. The cytoplasm, if you're keeping up in biology, bingo. This stuff on the outside. I think has to have some role, some interplay with the stuff on the inside. That's his theory. And it was a little bit scoffed at back in 1903, but he stood by it. He stood by it, voiced his opinion, was confident. And we've come to find out something like 90 years later that he was on to something that we didn't know about back then, but that there is a lot of interplay between the stuff on the outside and the stuff on the inside, that it's not just all about what's on the inside. There's a give and take that these things might coexist in some way. So, he was living in Europe and he was doing very well until he got run out of town by the Nazis, true story, and moved back to America where he died a few months later. Ernest Just, one of the most famous African American scientists in history. Not bad for a black man in the early 20th century to accomplish all this. So he had this idea of coexistence. So we talked about Charles, we talked about Ernest, now we're gonna talk about Emma. Emma is Emma Darwin, who was Charles Darwin's wife, and also his first cousin. No shade, just throwing that out there. (laughs) She had a lot of ideas about coexistence as well, especially when it came to these ideas of science and religion. She said, I don't think you have to abandon one for the other. I don't think one has to take prescience over the other. She encouraged Charles to hold both things together at once, to live in the tension and be open to the process. This is what she writes in 1839. May not the habit and scientific pursuits of believing, of believing nothing till it is proved, influence your mind too much And other things which cannot be proved in the same way. And which, if true, are likely to be above our comprehension. I should say also there's a danger in giving up faith revelation, which does not exist on the other side. This is the fear of ingratitude and casting off what has been done for the benefit of all and for you. Perhaps even fearful that, uh, excuse me, benefit as well. And which ought to make you still more careful, perhaps even fearful Lest you should not have taken all the pains you could to judge truly. She says, basically, I don't think you ought to apply the scientific method to questions of faith. You're not trying to answer the same questions. You've got the whos and the what's and the when's and the where's about your evolutionary theory. And we need that. But then you got the why and the so what on the other hand. You don't need to abandon those. They can coexist, they can live together. She says, don't give up the revelation of transcendent and mysterious awe. It's okay to let some things remain a mystery. But what's not okay, she says, is to take for granted the thing that called life. She says, don't give up your gratitude for the wondrous awe of this world. Coexistence. Friends, can you guess what Emma Darwin's religious tradition was? Unitarianism Science does great at analyzing and answering those factual questions. It's great at how and who and when and where It is terrible at why and so what My biology class gave me nothing with which to make meaning out of a school shooting that affected my friends my family my community Faith does great at making meaning out of those things. It's not always clean and simple, but it's the tool that we have. It's great at why and so what. It is terrible at the who's and the when's and the where's. The Venn diagram, to quote Rabbi Rachel Johnson, says it's not supposed to be a single circle. There's supposed to be separation. Tools have different purposes. You should not use a hammer as a fly swatter nor should you look for God using the Hubble telescope. But we need to recognize that each of us might bring different tools and frames of references to this story. and our search for coexistence. So it makes our faith, Unitarian Universalism, fairly unique for our time. That we can be made up of the certain and the seekers. Of those with yeses and those with I don't knows. It comes and asks us to be well-versed in our own traditions and what makes meaning for us, but also to be open to hearing what it is that moves other people, what fills others with that potential energy. Our faith asks us to trust one another, to do good work with good intention, and asks us to make sure that we're not causing harm to others in holding on to our own traditions. It does not ask us to believe one thing or the other, to answer the survey in a dichotomy kind of way. But it does ask us to experience wonder and awe together and to share what we are feeling, what we are experiencing, what is filling us with that energy. It asks us to coexist, to be delineated, but not separated. To not live next to one another, but to live with one another. And that can be hard sometimes. So I was reading about Dr. Just and I said, oh, there's a sermon in here. When he said that it's all about the stuff that's on the inside and also the stuff on the outside. It's not just about the internal work, us as individuals. There is interplay with the stuff around us with our community, with our congregation, with the world. There's interplay, back and forth, that we can't help but be affected, impacted, transformed perhaps by what's going on around us. So our faith asks us to make meaning of that, to find a way to respond to joys and sorrows, to find beauty and horror, to find the golden in the gray, something that science we should not ask to do. It was not meant to do. That there's a tension in this life. A tension that is hard to hold sometimes. A tension between wanting absolute certainty and letting some things remain a mystery. A tension between demanding more experiments for hard proof and letting theories and stuff be a little speculative. Here's the thing. Living in this tension between the messiness and the wonder, between the joy and the hard times, between faith, and reason, between coexistence, between life, death. Living in that tension is absolutely essential to being fully human. You can't get away from that. You can only find ways to deal with it. Stuff happens. There's gonna be hurricanes, there's gonna be hard times, there's gonna be births, there's gonna be deaths. Finding ways to make meaning, especially when it affects not only us, but those around us. In a world where siblings, cousins, community members are under oppression and abuse, when our planet is teetering on the brink of destruction, when our neighbors go hungry and jobless, when racism still separates us From one another and ourselves. Friends, there is good work to be done. Both on the inside and on the outside. Work needs to be done. And for me, my faith is what gives me that potential energy. Being in this community gives me that potential energy. It's why I think we do what we do. And it's why, and it's the so what, that fuels our existence here. It fuels our ability to co exist here to have fully and deeply human experiences the good and the bad all together but most importantly I think more than just to coexist, this faith asks us to co-resist that we are invited to co-resist evil oppression in ourselves that inner stuff the world around us the outer, just as Ernest just taught us, that there's a broad crossover. So we're free to focus solely on the DNA that's inside, the stuff that gets passed down that only affects us, the genetic makeup of who we are and what we believe. We're free to compare and contrast our faith and science and try and make them answer questions that maybe they weren't supposed to answer, to answer the survey however you want. And that is an admirable goal. And it's consistent with our Western, European, scientifically oriented craving of facts. Craving of proof in times of lies and fake news. But the world outside is affecting us, too. Even if we sit in the biology class, the world outside still goes on. Challenging us. Challenging our faith. Asking us why And so what? Charles Darwin's position on religion changed over time. It's unclear what he thought at the very end of his life because it changed and ebbed and flowed. His why and so what may be forever certain, but as Emma stated, she wrote, if you're trying your best to seek the truth and to serve the greater good with an open mind and heart, your faith cannot be wrong. The only thing that would be wrong would be to discover your answers, your why's and your so what's, what fills you up with potential energy, what helps you make meaning, and to not share them with others. Out of fear, out of tension, out of discomfort. Sharing your faith tradition and your faith practices with others is what helps us to live a life less ordinary it is an act of trust. And I think we owe it to ourselves and to our neighbors to be vulnerable enough to share that stuff. To live a life less ordinary. Because it is, in fact, extraordinary to find these answers that we, to the questions that we ask. Why? So what? When we stumble on answers together, alone, through study, through experience. The extraordinary act is to use whatever language or tradition you have to explain it to others, to share, to coexist. Because once you have that fuel source and once we all share it together, the more potential energy we create, the more kinetic energy we have to co-resist the stuff that's outside. Because working to make a better world together, sharing our joys and sorrows, that is the most deeply human, fundamentally sacred act that we can partake in here. And it's my hope that we always continue to do so. Because that is the least ordinary and the best response to this thing called life that we have. So may it be so. Amen. So that's it. I've been a little busy trying to get some other things off the ground, doing some good work helping some folks with the immigration process and finding jobs and housing. And we've been doing a lot of good things here at Restoration. But if you're interested in more about what's going on here, you can follow me at Twitter at McKinley L Sims or send me an email. Email address McKinley.l.sims at gmail.com. Thanks be blessed. <laughs>